0: To a special edition of Wrestling with the Future, I'm your host Dan Sebastiano, joined tonight by the bearded sensation himself, Jason Tuttle. Jason, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: and tonight we are joined by a special guest. He's wrestled in Florida, Europe, throughout the Midwest, and everyone else knows him in the Duff from the WWE, Duke the Dumpster Drosi Mike, thank you for being here.
2: I appreciate you having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: You know, uh, I reached out to you when I saw your work on Facebook. Um, I'm curious because there's a pretty big network that you guys are running now. Uh, how did you get involved in that?
2: Uh, are you talking about the podcasting network that I'm working with? Yes, yeah, sir. it's an interesting story. The guy who runs that is his name is Avi Klein, and um, he had me on his podcast about a year and a half ago. The name of his podcast was Wrestling with Anything But, and the inter- interesting thing about it it was it was a podcast based in wrestling but he wouldn't stick with just wrestling questions. Um, he is a history teacher by trade. So it was just very interesting. Uh, it was an interview that wasn't necessarily about wrestling that much. Uh, it was really kind of just different. Um, and after we did, we, we really clicked when we did his pod- When I did his podcast with him, we really had some chemistry. And uh, he started talking to me way back then about doing a podcast. And uh, a year and a half later, um he kind of put it together he, he had already started one with Ray Lloyd Glacier and now he pulled me on board next and now he's just got a whole host of different guys he's got Don Morocco he's got Paul Roma he's got Bill DeMott he's got the Patriot Del uh, Wilkes um, and I said Ray Lloyd Glacier and myself he's got a, a network like you said of guys and he's doing basically a podcast every night of the week and twice on Friday
0: Dan are you moonlighting you know, it's funny. I can, I can respect a history major who runs a wrestling with podcast. I like that. Uh, you know, I, it's funny because uh, I kind of came upon Obvious Network entirely by accident, and it was just so fascinating to hear the, you know, you, you guys all with some of the older stories and the vision, because a lot of it was from the same era, and it doesn't seem like that long ago. But you know, you mentioned, and Ray Lloyd mentioned in one of his podcasts, you know, people don't think that 1990 was 30 years ago. You know, exactly. so you, how how time goes with that? I, I'm curious to to talk as far as you, your career in wrestling goes. You know, I I, I mentioned the, the Duke the Dumpster character when you were in Florida, you wrestled as kind of a, a garbage man gimmick before you became Duke the Dumpster. How does that How does that come about? Do, do you mind expl- like Pulling the curtain back a little bit. How, do, how does that gimmick
2: formulate? Well, interestingly, I was going to college at the University of Miami. Um, I had a free – my mom worked for them in their laboratory, so I had something called tuition remission, and I went for free, basically. Otherwise, I couldn't afford it at University of Miami. Okay. I was going to the University of Miami, and I joined a fraternity. And, you know, fraternities, drinking, sitting around drinking beer all day long and, you know, telling jokes. Anyway – I was already training to be a professional wrestler by then. So I was like the coolest pledge this place, this, this <laughs> fraternity ever had. And what they would just do, one of the favorite pastimes was sitting around getting drunk, thinking up cool names for Mike's wrestling character. And one of the names that one of my fraternity brothers came up with was Rocco Gibraltar. And I thought that was the coolest freaking name I ever heard. And I just kind of stored it in the back of my mind for the longest time. And later on, as I started working the independence down in Florida, which there wasn't a lot of, but when I would work independent shows, uh, I was wrestling first. I started a little bit as Rocco Gibraltar, but then I started thinking, okay, if I hope to transition this and go wrestle in the WWF, it's going to have to have a character behind it. Uh, and and I, I thought about it and uh, I started thinking of like the G Man, Rocco Gibraltar. And I, I wanted I started thinking, what is a G-man? Is a G Man like an old school FBI agent? Or could it be G-man as in the garbage man? And that's when it clicked. And I said, the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. And that's what I wrestled as for the rest of my time in Florida. I started immediately putting together tape footage. Uh, wrestling as the garbage man and basically the same exact gimmick that uh, Duke the Dumpster wore and uh, put together a promo package. But yeah, that's how it came about.
0: That's awesome. Y- you know, uh, I- I'll admit I-, I was a big fan of the magazines. Uh, I, you know, all the wrestling magazines back that back then um, I, along with a lot of others, especially if you were out of the WWE or excuse me, WWF's main territory kind of got introduced to you. You made PWI's list uh, 500 wrestlers. And obviously, you know, how do you, uh, if you don't mind me asking, did you, cause, uh, I heard the stories of people chanting 500, 500. Uh, <laughs> did you, did, did they contact you at all? Or was that something you found out by proxy? I'm curious how that came about.
2: I was wrestling the independence in Florida. And I remember I was at a particular show. We would run about once a month. It was at a baseball field, uh, Perrine Corey league. We would do shows and, um, out on the baseball diamond. And, uh, there was a guy wrestling down there. He wrestled as Bobby Rogers, the nephew of buddy Rogers, which he had no relation to buddy Rogers, but Mm -hmm. that was his gimmick. But his thing though, he, he was kind of like an insider. He knew a lot of the people up in the WWF. Like he knew Chris Chavez, he knew Luna, he knew Dave, uh, Heath, Gangrel, and he knew a lot of the way things worked and all that. But uh he also knew some of the people at the magazines and he was the one that approached me and said that they were interested in putting me in their PWI top five hundred as number five hundred. And he said, Of course, the gimmick is everybody remembers number one and number five hundred. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Yeah, man, that's cool. Sounds good to me. So they put me in as just the garbage man. That was the, the name they used, the garbage man out of Florida. And um it's interesting because it was just a coincidence that that happened to also be the time that I was graduating from the University of Miami. I had put together my promo package. I was getting ready to start traveling the country and trying to find a job. And what ended up happening is I, I don't know. You probably heard the story, but I walked up to Vince, basically at a convention, and asked him for a job. And I handed him a promo package, completely unrelated to Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, but as soon as they caught wind of my tryout. They did another article about it saying that like they were responsible for it and the people were <laughs> chanting 500. They weren't chanting 500. Most of the people there at my tryout didn't even know anything oh. about it. It was just a coincidence. Um, but yeah, they tried to take credit for it. It was really funny, but it all just kind of happened at the same time.
0: Man, so, so you're telling me the, the 500 story in the magazine was crap, huh?
2: It was a work.
0: Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> K- K-Fabe is dead forever now.
2: K-Fabe is dead forever.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Jason, you got, you got Duke on the line here. Go for it.
1: Well, first off, it's a pleasure to have you, and it's an honor to speak with you tonight. Um, I have to ask, like I said, I, I've, I've been watching some of your, your uh, matches today. Um, what was the appeal of, of the, the dumpster? character i mean i was listening and the crowd was really dude, dude dude dumpster dumpster back then what do you think was the appeal to your character
2: uh blue collar hard-working you know that kind of gimmick uh the way vince described it to me he wanted me to be a cross between hacksaw jim duggan and hillbilly jim you know which was the epitome of, of blue collar hardworking american gimmick um okay that's that was the basis for it um you know people did get behind it but it's interesting when you are there in the middle of it and i don't think i've ever told anybody this but when you're there and you're in the middle of that big machine that is the wwf now wwe you could be going out there every night to a good reaction and hearing them cheer duke and yeah it's time to take out the trash and all that stuff but every time you go back behind those curtains People back there are telling you what you're doing is the shits, and it's not working, and you're not doing it right. And it's really interesting the way that sometimes they break down a, a person uh, psychologically. They break down your character. They take away things. They, you know, when I came in, an example, you know, I, I came up loving the Road Warriors. Road Warrior Hawk's promos were golden
3: to me, mm-hmm.
2: and uh, I used to cut promos just like Hawk. In fact, I sounded like him. I would have these screaming promos. And I went up there, and the first time I had to go cut a promo in the promo room, I started screaming. And whoever the agent was, I don't remember who it was, but he stopped me immediately. He goes, stop, stop, stop. He goes, look, we don't scream in our promos here. Uh, you only scream when it means something. Because if you scream all the time, then it just doesn't mean anything. And he gave me this whole freaking convoluted reason. But, you know, I didn't want to ruffle any I, – I didn't want to step on any toes. You know, I wanted, I didn't want to make any waves. I wanted to make everybody happy, which is a big mistake. You got to stay true to yourself. Mm -hmm. But I started changing things. And that was the beginning of the end. when I started taking away from the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar, when they were trying to tell me to be something different as Duke the Dumpster. Um, And it was usually coming from all these road agents in the back who all had their own agendas, you know. Um, It started kind of tearing it apart. and it kind of broke me down in a lot of ways and it just changed what I was doing. So it's interesting. You're going out there and the people are cheering, but it's it's almost like you don't hear it because you've got so many people in your ear in the back, just breaking you down that that takes a toll on you and, and mm-hmm. you, and you kind of get it all mixed up and you, you know, you start to kind of lose it a little bit, which I did. I really became disillusioned at one point and angry and just kind of, Fell out with all of it. So, yeah, that's kind of how it went down, though.
1: What about the, the rest of the boys? Did they uh, uh, help you? I know uh, you've talked about Bret Hart in the past uh, either giving you advice or ripping you. Uh, <laughs> both. But both. <laughs> so, were, were some of them either helping you give me advice or were some of them trying to uh, derail
2: your, your uh, career? Well, I think that's the whole point of it, though. You never know which was which. And Mm. you're constantly on guard against people trying to uh, tell you the wrong thing and push you out the door. Because everybody wants everybody's spot, if you have any kind of spot. Right. Uh, Or they want to get rid of you so you're not a threat to them later. Uh, So everybody's constantly on guard. So when you're receiving advice from people, you don't know if it's real or a rib or, or just trying to stab you in the back because it happens all those ways all the time. Um, one of the biggest rivers in the business ever Owen Hart was probably one of the most authentic individuals that would always give you good advice. Uh, strangely enough, uh, another person that gave me great advice that I didn't take was stone cold Steve Austin, uh, before he was really stone cold, but he was just coming into company and, um, At times, I would take Bret Hart's advice over his just because Bret Hart was the established champion that had been there 14 years. When in reality, I think there was times where Bret was probably winding me up and Austin was actually really trying to give me authentic advice. So, yeah, you were constantly on guard. You never know who was giving you real advice and who was trying to stab you in the back. Well,
0: if you remember, what was, uh, you might remember any of the anecdotes or, or pieces of advice you got that you might want to share with any up and comers today?
2: Uh, uh, I remember after I left the WWF and I had tryouts, um, I had went and gotten shaped and put on some muscle and I was trying to go back to work. And I was trying to get tryouts for both WCW and WWF at the same time. And they both wanted to give me tryouts. And I remember asking both Bret Hart and Steve Austin what I should do. Bret Hart said, you should do both. That's the professional thing to do. And Austin said, I would choose one. Pick the one you want to go to because these are vindictive people. He goes, if you do both, somebody's going to be pissed off and you might just get screwed out of all of it. Well, I took Bret's advice. But guess whose advice was the good advice? Austin's. And uh, I went to both. And didn't get a call from anybody. Mm. (laughs) Perfect example right there. Wow. (laughs) You were about to ask me a question when you froze up.
0: Okay. I was going to ask about, yeah, one of the defining moments of your time in the WWF, you were number 30 in the Royal Rumble. That was before it was the prestigious storyline position it is now, but it was still a pretty big deal back then. I was wondering if you could peel the curtain back a little bit, kind of walk us through the... the the, the writer's room or the the agent conversation how they approached you to say look we want you to be number 30 in the rumble
2: well that was in order to set up an angle with me and triple h and the reason i had the angle with triple h was because my contract my first two-year contract was up and i was really just sick and tired of everything they were kind of not using me at all not putting me on the road and uh and i tell this famous story now that uh they wanted me to work with a new guy that came in named the ringmaster and uh i refused to do the job on tv for the ringmaster because i had to take a stand because my contract was up and if i did and brett gave me the advice of course and i did and it actually worked which is a big reason i would take later advice from brett that wasn't good but uh it worked there just because my two-year contract was up so fast forward They say, we're going to put you into something and don't worry, we're going to take care of it just to get me to re-sign that one-year rollover, right? I re-sign the one-year rollover. They put me in an angle with Triple H. We do the whole deal. I cost – we do the free-for-all. I cost him. He has to go out number one because he loses to me by DQ, of course. Lord knows I wasn't going to pin him. (laughs) And uh, I go out – and I go out 30, right? I get to go out 30. And he – was pissed off. So he came back the next week on superstars and jumped me and cut my hair setting up the angle. Right. And, uh, we ended up doing the big blow off where once again, I got hit in the face with my own garbage can lid to lose to him at in your house. But interestingly, there there was no gorilla monsoon to come out and disqualify him that time. I didn't understand why, but uh, that was the finish. But that was the reason all of that came about. It was because I basically was sick and tired of it. I refused to do a job, which, by the way, I sat down with Steve immediately and told him why. And he completely understood, and we became great friends after that. But nice. it was just, I was tired of them beating me down, and I wasn't making any money either. They weren't putting me on the road. And um, yeah, I took a stand, and that's why they gave me the angle with Triple H, and that's why they did the number one and the number 30 angle
0: interesting Jason you have a, another question here
1: well yeah um, something that I've, I've kind of been interested in and kind of confused about can you explain the pay the pay structure on you know what uh, somebody would normally get on a house show or a TV taping or even a pay per view um, I've, I've heard different numbers and it I honestly don't see how you guys have survive that type of schedule and that pay schedule
2: very few guys i I always said there was the haves and the have-nots during that era there was a select group of guys that were getting pretty big numbers and then the rest of us were getting table scraps and basically the pay structure was whatever the hell vince mcmahon wanted to pay you he paid you he would even pay different guys different money that were in the same match matter of fact if we went back and there was a record That would be in your house match versus me and Triple H. I would be interested to see what he got paid. I got paid a little over $6,000 for that match. It would be interesting to see what he got paid. Now, as far as house shows and stuff like that, man, basically, when you're on the road, you have access to a $200 draw at the building if you need it in cash each night. For road expenses, if you need cash in your pocket, you can take $200 draw. They ask you if you wanna draw. Now you're supposed to get paid more than that and you get the rest in your check later. Well, it was so bad during those years that some of us knew if we didn't take our $200, we were gonna get less. So I would take my 200 cash at every single show and go home like Kevin Nash said to pay the bills. Some guys would have to do that to pay their bills uh, because if I didn't, I knew my check was going to be less, but I also knew if I took the 200, Vince wouldn't have the balls to send me an invoice saying I owed him money. So <laughs> right. that was the way I was going to get the most out of it was get my $200 draw. So there was a lot of nights in the World Wrestling Federation I made $200. Wow. Jesus. And that's, yeah.
1: you know, you guys had to, you know, do your own ring gear, you know, your own travel. Food, well, if you were those... if you were
2: like me, I did my own ring gear. But guys like Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker and Bret Hart, and those guys didn't do their own ring gear. The office right. did the girls. Well, I take that back. There were, so, there were seamstress girls that worked there. Uh, Julie was one of them, and I can't remember the other one's name. And they worked there in the back at all the TVs. But basically the way it worked is you could go up to them and ask. You could tell them what you wanted, and basically you paid them, and they would make your gear. Now, sometimes the office would make people's gear like they made that green. I call it the Green Hornet outfit that I wore Put it in your house versus Triple H. I hated it. The green Duke. The, the reason it was green is because nobody could wear blue or purple or black because all the stars wore those, those colors. Right. It was so stupid the way all that worked. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but none of them were wearing a garbage man outfit. But no, I had to wear green and some kind of beige color to it or gray. I don't remember what it was. But, uh, yeah, the office made me that outfit, and they bought me that pair of boots, and that's the only thing they ever bought me. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. It's just that's how it crazy. works, man. Just, yeah.
1: And then you had to supply your, own, uh, your t- own trash cans,
2: too, right? I sure did, yep. I had to bring my own trash cans. And I got so tired of it, you know, towards the end there on house shows, I wouldn't even bring garbage cans. I would just look around the building for some plastic can and use it, whatever they had in the building it smelled like crap full of garbage (laughs) and i would take it out to the ring i didn't even care i just you know that had gotten to that point where i I wasn't going to put any effort in because they weren't putting any effort into me right right which is the wrong way to go about it you got to have a thick skin you got to be able to handle you know the ups and downs and and rejection just like any other part of the entertainment industry um you got to know how to deal with it and i was ill suited at the time to deal with it that was the big problem for me um you know you can't take that shit personally because if you do you're not going to last long and that's why i didn't last long because i took it personally well
0: let let me ask you something then um i don't know how current up you are on the current product there's a, uh, the WWE has been beaten up specifically Vince McMahon a few times on you know, social media and among the fans for punishing talent that got over on their own. Uh, people like a, like a Zack Ryder or a Ted DiBiase jr. Who used social media and the current platforms to say, look, you know, put me on TV until the fans were literally demanding it. Uh, do you think at, with if, if the, social media had existed then the way it does now that you, the, the Duke dumpster character could have gotten over because he had a positive crowd reaction. Do you think it would have worked in your favor or do you think it would have hurt in the long run?
2: It might've worked in my favor in the beginning, but uh, as you said, Vince caught wind of how it was going down and hadn't stop to it because otherwise other people are going to follow behind and keep trying to do the same thing. And he, he loses control. Um, I mean, and it's already a, a fishy Thing at the live events or at TVs when they were having crowds because the crowds were basically taking it over. <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, you know, it would have been different probably. I, I remember it's funny when I was there, the internet was really just starting. <laughs> it was America, it was AOL, Atlanta <laughs> Online, and uh, I remember I did a magazine article for somebody. And I made mention of what my screen name was, Real Duke D, on at AOL.com or whatever it was, I don't remember. But immediately they had these IMs is all they had, instant messaging. And immediately my IMs just started ding, 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 going <laughs> crazy every time I got on the computer at home, uh, because I gave out that 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 uh screen name, Real Duke <laughs> D. And uh I, I realized then I, you know, it was just a new thing, and I didn't know if that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but chances are I would have experimented with it and messed with it like I'm you know have done I mean I'm still behind the uh the the eight ball on on all this deal but since I came back in 2018 and really kind of have been learning how to use social media now um yeah I probably would have used it to my advantage
0: okay well back to the uh the the time period
2: after you left
0: the WWF you you're biography shows a tour of europe obviously i i could i looked and couldn't find much footage from there but do you have any good um germany specifically do you have any good stories from your time in europe post wwf
2: oh yeah i went and worked for big Otto uh Otto vons you know he was still doing tours in austria and germany at that time uh totally different deal you know it was uh it was catch style wrestling um you wrestled in rounds, you know, you had rounds like in boxing rounds. Um, you know, you wrestled in the same building for 30 or 40 nights in a row. You lived behind the building during the whole time. You were, you, we lived out in the back in little caravans, you know, trailers. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's just kind of how they did it. I mean, you could stay at a hotel or something, but you'd spend a lot of money and we weren't making a ton of money. Um, but you know, guys would go there just to brush up on their skills. Uh, I had the opportunity to work with Fit Finley there
3: quite a bit.
2: I used to get in the ring with him like in the mornings because again, we lived right out behind the building. So we could go in in the morning and practice in the ring. And he showed me a lot of stuff and I got a lot of really good advice from him. Uh, And it was just something different. Um, But yeah, it was interesting. But I drank a lot of beer there too. (laughs) We used to go to the bars a lot and have a good time. Um, but Finley was there. Robbie Brookside was there. Paul New, uh, who used to be PN News, he was wrestling there as Cannonball Grizzly. He was doing very well there. A kid named Christian Eckstein. Eckie Eckstein was a pretty popular young German kid. But there was a lot of great wrestlers there. Uh, you know, PCO, Carl, uh, Carl Oleth came in there and wrestled. Rhino was there just breaking into the business. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of guys that came through there. And I think I lived over there for six or seven months one summer Nice. and uh, yeah, so it was we started in in Austria and worked our way all the way up to Bremen Germany by the end of it so yeah what
0: um how did how did that how did that connection get made? How did you end up did there was was this a, did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you because you that you were free agent at the time? How did that come about?
2: Interestingly enough, I was still friends with Brett and talking to Brett because I had not really realized that he was goofing on me. And uh, he is, his brother, Ross Hart, got me booked over there. Yeah, just out of the blue. I didn't know Ross at all. And uh, hmm. But, yeah, he got me booked over there.
0: Hmm. Well, following that, you had a, a run in what would become – well, what was FCW in Florida – a successful run. You actually champion, had a couple of good tag tag runs and some other bits down there. Um, Florida was a a pretty popular topic in today's wrestling with FCW eventually evolving and becoming what is now NXT. Um, You know, do you have uh, again, same question as from Europe. Do you have any good stories from your time in Florida?
2: Yeah. I mean, that was the same guys I worked at. uh, I worked with when I was the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. I, uh, It was Sunshine Wrestling Federation. And basically, when I got back from the WWF, they had gotten some sponsorships. Uh, A local TV station was backing them so they could start doing TV. And they changed their name to FCW, Florida Championship Wrestling. It was not the same FCW that became a uh, developmental for the WWF. I think what happened is the WWF bought the name. They bought the rights to it, okay. Um, okay. but it was a totally different independent little circuit of guys. It was, it was what was the Sunshine Wrestling Federation, SWF, that became Florida Championship Wrestling. And so I just basically went back to work for the guys I was working before I went to work for Vince. Okay. Yeah.
0: well, um, I mean, that was a, a good run there. Jason, you look like your uh, wheels
1: are turning. Go for it. Well, I wanted to circle back to um, when you handed Vince your, uh, your tape. Uh, what was his first reaction? Like, it ha- was he very hands-on? Did he have, his you know, Briscoe people in front of him blocking him? Was he hands-on into, uh, during your time there?
2: Well, as far as that actual situation where I handed him my promo package, Uh, It was funny, as I was saying before, I was getting ready to drive across the country and try to find a job, but I read in the paper that they were having something called the Nat Pea Convention of TV executives at the Miami Beach Convention Center. And they were talking about the steroid scandal and how Hogan, Hulk Hogan, had just moved to WCW and they were interviewing him there with WCW. But the last sentence of the article said, Vince McMahon, who was also in attendance, had no comment. And I realized at that moment, holy shit, Vince McMahon is here in my town. And um, basically, I was working at a beach club as a night watchman, a beach club for like rich people on Key Biscayne. And one of those rich people members was also an executive at a local Channel 2 in in Miami, Florida. And it all just fell together in one night. My boss said, why don't you call so-and-so? He's an executive at Channel 2. Called him. He goes, oh, yeah, I got credentials for that. He gave me, he came that night to my work and gave me his credentials. The next day I put on a suit and walked in the front door. And the best piece of advice I ever got from somebody before the process, I remember the night before I only called a couple of my friends and told them what I was planning on doing. I said, I'm gonna walk up to Vince and uh hand him my promo package. And they were like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> and this one guy, Willie Gonzalez, he used to wrestle as El Fidelista down there, the like the Cuban assassin kind of guy, but not the Cuban assassin, but He said, if you get Vince McMahon by himself, you better jump on him because he won't be alone for long. And, boy, that was true. I walked in the front door right as the thing was opening at about 10 a.m., and I walked straight to the WWF uh, stand. You know, they each had their own little section. And it was the WWF section. And on this side was a big circle of, like, office people and agents it was like stan lane pat patterson all these road agents and different people from the from the 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 tv people and to the left by himself drinking a cup of coffee was vince mcmahon and i just walked right up to him and i said hello mr mcmahon how are you sir i'm doing fine he looked up at me like this I said, my name is Mike Drossi. I live here locally in Florida. I've been wrestling on and off for about nine years and I'd like to work for you in the world wrestling federation. And he just kind of was like stunned looking at me. And he asked me, he goes, okay, you say nine years, do you mean professional or amateur? I said, I did wrestle amateur in high school, but I'm talking about nine years of uh, professional wrestling while I was going through college and finishing high school. And, um, Then he said, okay, you graduated from college. I said, yes, sir. And he goes, then why do you want to be a wrestler? (laughs) And I just, on the spot, I said, you know, Mr. McMahon, in life, there's a couple of possible paths. One, you go to school like your parents want you to do, and you get a nine-to-five job, and you get a career. Or you find your dream, and you chase it. And working for you in the World Wrestling Federation is my dream, so I would like to pursue that first. And uh, he said, okay. And then I said, at this time, I'd like to hand you this promotional package. If you could, at your earliest convenience, take a look at it. I would greatly appreciate it. And he said, I certainly will. And he reached out his hand, I shook his hand, and I got the hell out of there and had a freaking panic attack in the damn parking lot.
3: <laughs> Holy shit.
2: I didn't even give myself time to think about it before that point. I just did it. Uh, and I think that was the reason it worked so well. But, yeah, that's how it worked. Um Vince was pretty accessible when I was working there. You know, I always felt like I could go right to Vince and talk to him since I walked up to him and got my job. But I, I came to find out later, later I started to annoy him a bit. Um, and, yeah, he would have Briscoe around him, especially at the end. He would had Briscoe, like, standing next to him almost like a bodyguard, I think, because he was <laughs> worried I was going to be pissed off and go off on him. So that's what I thought. But um, I just always thought it was funny. I was like, you know, what the fuck is Briscoe going to do if I just go off on Vince? I mean, he may stop me, but he ain't going to stop me all that quick, right?
1: But wow. no, it was
2: just yeah, it was just the way it was. But yeah, that's... Vince was pretty accessible. You could just wait in line and see him at TVs. You know, huh.
0: that's that's funny. Um, on his not to not to to speak of of other podcasts, but on his recent podcast, Jim Cornette addressed the issues that. Uh, after nails assaulted Vince McMahon, he
2: had, a, he had a,
0: really he had a run of several years where he refused to be alone in the same room with a wrestler. I believe yeah. it. So it was, yeah, uh, that
2: was the case. He always had somebody in the room when I was there.
0: <laughs> he was he was afraid you were going to take out the trash, huh?
2: At the end, <laughs> yeah, especially at the end. I'll tell you, brother, because I was getting just disillusioned, and uh, I think mm-hmm. he, he could tell so. You know, he would worry. I mean, I I hear Vince is pretty tough. I don't know, and I wasn't gonna jump on Vince. I mean, that's stupid, but it was just interesting to see he would have who he would have around him. You know, right. so I was. Right. Hmm.
0: That's crazy. He yeah. I was. He
2: thought I was gonna go all nails on him. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell that joke and it gets a laugh. That's
0: that's, yeah. that's yeah. a good well, one. You know, you you <clears throat> excuse me. You mentioned being disillusioned and and. Uh, you know, the thing's kind of beating you down. Um, if you don't mind, I want a little little darker subject. You've mentioned in the past, obviously, you've had uh, 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 some you know, drugs and whatnot have been a little bit of, of involved in your past. There was the legal troubles, if you don't mind me asking. Um, mm-hmm. you, we had Cowboy Sam Houston on the show a couple weeks back, and he was obviously he had spent several years in jail related to something like that. And he had a lot of stories about rehab and training and, and he, what, what really stuck out when the stories he told, and and he's not the only one we've had on the show that have talked about kind of coming out of the dark times was having some one source, be it a really good friend. uh, In Sam Houston's case, he, he found religion when you were kind of in your dark time and you touched on it in some recent interviews. What was your, source if, if you don't mind sharing with us the, the kind of your the shoulder to lean on of sorts that got you back up on your feet
2: oh after i i mean yeah in 2013 i got arrested basically uh for selling pills it was i sold like six or eight pills that were not strong enough for me anymore to somebody in order to get money to buy stronger pills that i could shoot up with i was i was an iv drug user anyway. I got arrested. Uh, and that was the moment everything was over. I mean, I lost, I was a school teacher. I lost my teaching career. I lost, I mean, I lost my car. It got repoed. I didn't have a house. Uh, you know, I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. And, um, I knew that everything had to change, but I also knew I couldn't just quit the drugs. I was so severely addicted. So I knew I had to go to rehab, but once I got physically clean, I was willing to do whatever it took. Now, let me back up just a little bit I got clean the first time in 2003 when I moved to Tennessee but I did it um I I went to rehab and when I got out I just quit worrying about recovery I didn't even know what recovery was I didn't go to meetings I didn't do anything I just said oh I'm gonna get my life back in order like I was a tough guy and I wasn't gonna use drugs anymore and it worked for about six years maybe I don't know or six or seven years or something but um so when I relapsed it was because I had a issue with my foot which later on I would have to have amputated by the way but I had an issue with a foot injury it was so painful that I made the mistake of starting to use drugs again in 2009 or 2010. Anyway I was so severely addicted and uh, so again fast forward back to this time I got arrested I knew I had to go to rehab so before I went to court I put myself in rehab and got physically off the drugs. And then immediately started going to meetings, Narcotics Anonymous meetings, every single night of the week, nonstop, never failed. That was what saved my life. Um, I went through this drug court program here that I now work for. Um, It's a very strict program, like super strict probation plus kind of drug treatment at the same time. That was great. That kept me clean in a lot of ways. But what truly saved me was Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I was going to meetings every night of the week for about a year straight. Um, and that's what did it. Uh, I really learned what recovery was. I learned how to take the control of my mind and the way it works. I, I learned how to take that control back, uh, because that's the thing, but man, we lose control of the way we think we become obsessed and, and addiction and all these things. And I learned how all that works this time. And, and that's why knock on wood, I'm um, still not using and hopefully I'll never use again. And, um, but I, I work on it every single day, uh, because I have to, you got to maintain it. You can't just push it away on the back of the shelf and forget about it. That's not how this deal works. So it's something I have to work on every day. Um, working with individuals now in my job, uh, every day that are struggling with the same thing that helps me too. Uh, that helps me a lot. Uh, it's a great little network of people. They trust me because they know I've been there and, uh, it's a good relationship, uh, because helping them helps me. Uh, so those are basically the things that helped me stay on this path now.
0: That's the hell of a commendable story. Jason, yes. you can expand on that if you'd
1: like. Um, yes, that's very, uh, very commendable. Um, I, I saw a previous interview that you did that, uh, you actually received uh a letter from uh WWE about their offer to do their rehab program and you
2: actually declined it um uh, <clears throat> could you talk about that well in- interestingly when i was after i had relapsed uh you know during that time i was in active addiction again they started sending out those letters uh and it's funny this is a, it's a funny story but uh, I had a certified letter I had to go pick up at the, at the post office because I missed it at home. Uh, I, I wasn't there or something. I don't know. But it was like, you have a certified letter from the World Wrestling Federation. I was like, holy shit. I wonder what this is. Maybe it's a contract. Or maybe they want me to come back. That's how stupid I was because I was so messed up on drugs. And um, I went there and I opened it. And I remember the first thought as I read that letter was, ah, they're trying to cover their asses for all these people dying. Um, but I got several of those letters over the years, uh, and I don't know if all of them were signed by Triple H, well, Paul Levesque, yeah. but he, he was signing uh, some of them at one point. Uh, it was his signature on there. But no, when it came time and I got busted and I needed to go to rehab, before my school teaching license got revoked, I still had insurance. So I used my insurance to put myself into rehab because honestly, I was too proud to take anything from the WWF. Um, I was still very bitter. I had a lot of resentment, which I had to deal with on my own later on. I had to come to terms with a lot of that shit was my fault. But at that time, I was still so messed up that I was angry. And uh, yeah, I had too much pride to accept any help from them. And luckily, I had my own insurance and I could go to rehab. But, uh, yeah, I got quite a few of those letters, you know, and, uh, and I thought it was a great thing that they were doing. It, put a lot, it probably saved a bunch of guys' lives.
1: Do you, do you think they should expand upon that? You know, the, the, uh, the old uh, uh, topic is, should they insure wrestlers? Should they, you know, should wrestlers have a union? You know, this whole independent contractor status. Should that go away?
2: It never will because that's what made Vince a billionaire. Um, you know, he's done it that way for, for a reason. Um, and, and guys were always willing to work for him under those terms. And they always will be. And even more so now, because now we're in an era where the WWE, you know, world wrestling entertainment is pushing a brand. Now it's not pushing wrestlers or any particular superstars, really. If you think about it, it's almost as if if somebody gets too big, they pull the reins back on them and push somebody else up just to kind of almost keep everybody on an even keel because they're more concerned, in my humble opinion, with pushing the brand. So it's become a situation where less and less people really have any leverage as a superstar, and nobody's ever going to pull everybody together in a union. That's never going to happen. I mean. It would take a major lawsuit, and Vince is so powerful and has so many great lawyers, and <laughs> none yeah. of that stuff's ever gonna happen. Um, he'll he'll sell it or go under first before he'll let any of that happen. Yeah. He'll, I mean, I, don't, I guess they're still independent contractors, um, but they have at least they have guaranteed contracts now. You know, right? Uh, right. I think everybody works for him. It gets a minimum of whatever it is, but that wasn't the case when we worked there you know i'm sure you've heard of the guarantee 10 matches a year for $150 a match was the guarantee $1500 a year that's all we was yeah. guaranteed it was a that's chance ridiculous. to work there right and some and, and, people just barely made that you know they made wow. that money and didn't work again because they didn't want to use them anymore that was wow. the power they had over people and they just used people and uh that's and again crazy. that's the nature it's the nature of the business if you don't know how to <laughs> navigate that system, you're not going to be successful. If you don't know how to handle some rejection, you're not going to make it. If you don't, you know, if you don't know how to work yourself back out of any of those situations, I was, and I said this on another podcast, I've said it many times, you know, there really, there is always a way to get yourself over Now, I know Vince doesn't want people going on social media and getting themselves over whatever, but there are certain things you can do out in that ring on live television and get yourself over the right way. Um, And if you know how to do that, you'll be successful. But if you don't know how to do it, you're just going to flounder in the opening to mid-card status. Uh, And that's what I did when I was there. I didn't understand that. But, um, yeah, it's just an interesting uh, structure. No, that's just kind of how it works man 1099ers all the way you know you pay your own taxes you pay your own expenses and uh well now guys are riding around in buses so it must be a lot better than it was you know a like lot, a lot of guys during my my period and right before our uh my time you know a lot of the benefits the guys have now were built on the broken backs of guys like me and and others like me and the, the the you know new generation and and right before that in the late 80s early 90s um, yeah, you know, we paid a lot, we paid a lot of the price for the guarantees they get now, so you know, it is what it is, though. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, it's crazy to think about that. The you said $1,500 when yeah. you have talent today that are making six figure incomes just to not be signed by another company. Uh, and now. On that note, actually, I was going to ask if you had followed any of the current product. Something that that WWE (coughs) got a little bit of a social media black eye over was the releases, just as the COVID outbreak really started taking off, and it kind of came out that that their contracts. While you'll hear, you know, so and like, I'll use the example: uh, uh, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson signed a multi-year, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars contract. However, there's a clause in the contract that we can cut you at any any 90-day period. So realistically, you're only signing a, th- uh, a three-month contract, and it's the WWE's call whether or not they renew you every three months. Uh, I'm curious if, if a contract like that with this guaranteed money, but we can cut you whenever, would have flown back when you were the, the new generation, back <laughs> in the 90s when you were with the boys.
2: But hell yeah, it would have because we were willing to sign for $1,500 a year. Yeah, of course it (laughs) would have. You were in the World Wrestling Federation, man. You were willing to do almost anything to work there and stay there and keep your spot. Uh, And I'm sure that's the way that Luke uh, and Anderson were thinking, uh, Gallows and Anderson were thinking, you know, they were like, man, we're established here. We're over and nothing's ever going to happen. And then the bubonic plague hits and they start cutting people left and right because they can because they signed them under these shitty contracts. And that's kind of how they've operated all along. They've always had, right. you know, Vince has always had something up his sleeve. You know, and, and you can't say, hey, he ain't stupid. That's for sure. I mean, he's a very, very smart and a very shrewd businessman.
1: Yeah. Yes. I, I listened to you on a, on another interview, and I think you're the only one that I've ever heard not take one side or the other on, on Vince. You described him as, you know, the, the shrill businessman. Can you kind of go back? You're talking about, you know, some people were, would get upset if they weren't being used, but after, he was, after they were told that, oh, they're going to be, you know, top tier, it's just not, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know what's going on behind the scenes or how the business is going. Yeah. You really described it very well. I, I really enjoyed how, how you said it.
2: You know, Vince, it's true. Vince is a very shrewd businessman. Uh, But he makes promises and reneges on those promises all the time. Um, But again, that's something you got to be able to handle. Uh, Either you can get yourself over or not. Uh, I've heard Vince tell – I remember Vince uh, telling King Kong Bundy he was going to make him this monster heel again when he came back in, in the new generation era. And then probably a couple of months later, he realized Bundy couldn't move and he wasn't very good. And he didn't have the same power about him that he did when he was younger. And Vince, pulled, you know, hit the brakes. And uh, I think, you know, Bundy was telling the story one day. He said he went to Vince and said, what happened to this big monster push, this monster heel push? And Vince just looked at him right in the eyes and said, it just didn't happen. And that's the way Vince would handle people. Um, right. But you got to be able to handle that in that. That is part of that business, and if you can't handle it, you shouldn't be there. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, I had to <laughs> lose all that and be out of the business before I realized exactly how it worked. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't hold any resentment against Vince over it. Um, that's the way he's had to do business. That's that's wrestling promoting one hundred and one. You know, that's the way promoters are at every level. It's just Vince is a billionaire doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how they run their business. You know, that's how they got to do it. Um, It's unfortunate, but they lie to you. Uh, And and maybe it's, you see, I believe Vince never told anybody a lie. He thought what he was saying was the truth when he said it, but then things happen to immediately change and he hits the brakes. And I've seen that happen tons. I've seen him go sour on people all the time that he thought was going to be great. And they, they turned out to be shit. And, uh, he just stopped it and just put putting any effort behind them. And they're left like this, wondering what the hell happened. Yeah. Well, that what he promised you didn't happen and you need to try to make something else happen. That's how it worked. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You,
0: you hear, you hear stories coming out today from the writers uh, that, you know, the show goes south and the backstage news comes out that Vince McMahon tore up the script for SmackDown 10 minutes before they were supposed to mm-hmm. go to air. So they're literally mm-hmm. writing the show during the opening match.
2: And yeah. it's just, you yeah, know. See, that's the, that, there's a big difference there, too, that we didn't have writers. You when know, I was I, there, there was – go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm just saying there was no writers. So it was a very small group of guys. It was Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, Bruce Pritchard maybe a couple of other people that were involved in writing the shows. Uh Kevin Dunn, whoever, you know, writing segments and things like that for the show. Um, but it was more hands-on. Now I think Vince has delegated a lot of that stuff outward to writers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I was saying before that, you know, people are politicking in the backs, not to Vince anymore. They're politicking to certain writers because they want to get stuff mm. written for them. Right. Um, but yeah, now Vince will take a hold of somebody's, what somebody wrote and on the fly, and think it's complete crap. And yeah, I believe he'll tear it up. Uh, that's kind of the way he works. He would also scream at people over the damn earphones when they were doing commentary. Um, mm-hmm. cause he didn't like the way they were doing their commentary. You know, that's Vince is a, is a, <sighs> a power freak, <laughs> uh, a control freak. Mm. Uh, right. you know, almost he's obsessive about what he does. Uh, there's many stories about Vince not sleeping, and I believe that's true. Um, I don't think he probably sleeps very much. Uh, he's constantly working on that company. That is his obsession in life. Um, you know, that's what he works on. So, um, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me to hear that he would tear up a whole show right before it's ready to start, and in a panic there at the last second writing a new, book, a new show. Right. Uh, that's uh, that, That's Vince McMahon in a nutshell right there.
1: Well, let me... Let me ask you: If if the if that is his his baby, why does he go off in a tangent and start a bodybuilding federation, start a football league twice? Why does he does he do that just to have a change of pace, change of scenery, and then come back to the wrestling? He has
2: a massive freaking ego. Mm-hmm. He has a massive freaking ego. And, you know, he was into the bodybuilding thing and he I, I probably still works out. But, you know, he was all about the bodybuilding. You know, he, he was he had all those stars that were bodybuilders for such a long time until the steroid scandal hit, of course.
3: Right. But
2: uh, I think that's why he wanted to start. He, you know, he saw the popularity rising in the Mr. Olympia and he wanted to get some of that money. You know, he wanted to get in on that. Um, the problem is he was taking all the cast offs, you know, he was taking the fourth, fifth and sixth placer guys yep. and trying to make them his stars. So it didn't yeah. work. <clears throat> the, and, the, um,
0: uh, I was going to say the inaugural world bodybuilding federation champion finished fifth at the Mr. Olympia
2: that year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stride him Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of how Vince was though. Uh, yeah, the football thing, he wanted to bring the attitude era to the NFL. That's what he tried to do. And, uh, uh there's was- a whole lot more to the football than, you know, just putting people in pads and putting them on TV. There's, there's a lot that goes, right. Right. Um, and, uh, (laughs) and I think he did it the second time because he always resented or re, uh, he just never liked the fact that the first time didn't work. Right. So we may see a new WBF coming out soon. Let's let's (laughs) wait for that. (laughs) Yes.
0: Well, the, uh, The XFL was just recently purchased by a group of investors led by The Rock, so maybe it'll take three. You know, it's funny actually. The this second run of the XFL was actually doing well in both ratings and ticket sales before COVID forced the league to fold. You know, I, I don't. I honestly believe that if if not for COVID, that you would have had season two, well, a second and maybe third season of the XFL, but as soon as as soon as the it stopped making money they closed it instantly and i think i don't know i don't know the outcome but i know several people within the xfl have expressed anger that they were fired under the under the impression dumped, gonna like a, a bunch of wrestlers season.
2: were dumped yes. yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah they uh he, he he cut the fat you know um it's actually interesting. I was gonna—you brought up writers. I was gonna ask you about that because you, you—the new generation, the the era, the early nineties to the the golden age had just ended. You know, your your Hulk Hogan's and, and your Ultimate Warriors were kind of taking a back seat to some of the the smaller guys and and the characters. Um, I have two questions from that era. From that era, the first was gonna be the writers because I did not see the word writers room referenced at all in the history of wrestling until i saw a magazine interview with vince russo and i think like 1996 and he's kind of credited with the scripts everything back then was not scripts you had sort of a bullet point but it wasn't scripted verbatim like you were filming a sitcom and the second point i was going to ask and and you being a part of that group what was the driving force if you if you're familiar with it um in the new generation, that every character and every gimmick had to be related to a job?
2: Um, I don't think every character had to be related to a job. I just think there was a lot of them. Um, I, I just... I think Vince tried to have characters that were relatable to common people, to, to you know, middle class, lower, middle, upper, upper class some, you know, but he definitely uh wanted the working man's wrestler represented and uh and he also just took um different types of characters from different types of jobs with you know different stigmas attached to them like a the dentist nobody likes going to the dentist so it had to be an evil dentist with bad right. teeth you know that's the way Vince's mind works. And, and I think that's probably in a, a large reason now that people say he's out of touch because he's kind of behind the times on character development a lot of times. You know, he still stays stuck in the past to some extent. I mean, I don't know what year he's stuck in now, but when we were there, you know, we, we were begging to kick down the door and start the Attitude Era and uh it took him a while to come around it took him getting his ass kicked by wcw to finally come around and let those guys right you know take off the gloves as he says and uh and really start fighting but uh otherwise he's stuck in the past and he thinks that you know you got to have a clown and a garbage man and a dentist and a you know a plumber and a you know a mantar <laughs> and a oh, <laughs> oh man, oh, man. He just Let, me Let me tell you something. Let me tell you, a mantar Mike Halleck was one of the best workers I ever worked with. Really? At a powerhouse. He just got stuck with a shitty gimmick, like a lot of guys. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, Mike was one of the best workers and and a great guy. I'm still <laughs> friends with him now. We talk on we talk on social media. But uh, he gets a lot of shit for having a shitty gimmick. But they put that freaking gimmick on him, and uh, you know he did the best he could with it. You know it's it was a situation where they would tell you what they wanted you to be and what are you going to do say no you know now the proper way to handle that now that I look back is you have to walk in that room with three other ideas locked and loaded uh you can't just go in and expect them to give you a great idea and when they don't go oh yeah that's great uh you know a lot of guys did that you know a lot of guys sat down in that room and they laid it on them and they just kind of cringed and went, okay, like Ringmaster, Bang yeah. Frost, Frost, uh, freaking Mankind, you know, whatever they called him before Mankind, he, he changed it enough to where it was palatable, you know, Mick Foley did, but mm-hmm. uh, they had a lot of bad ideas. A <laughs> lot of bad ideas that just flew because people were scared to say no. Because, you know, if you said no, they'll just Pull the plug on you and say, "All right, we'll go back to working the freaking indies for twenty bucks a night." You, so, you
0: know, it's, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: So, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of how it went down. Um, you know, I went in established already with my garbage man gimmick, just because I did a little research and I could tell that's what Vince was looking for. <laughs> that kind of deal. That's why I went in with that that gimmick.
0: That's great. You, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned. Mantar and and the worker. Um, you also brought up the the plumber and Tony Anthony it had a had a reputation at the time as being one of the best workers in the business, and he gets saddled with T L Hopper, the wrestling plumber. Like that, no one, sure he like no one he was, could have possibly like, thought that was going to go anywhere.
2: Well, he, he was, you know, I'm sure he was like, all right, great. And he we he obviously walked in that office with no other ideas. Right. You know, I guess he was just hoping to be Tony Anthony, but Vince never does that. Vince always changes your name. Uh he made me Duke the dumpster. He he wanted to call Vader the freaking Mastodon. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. To the point where he was
2: calling him the Mastodon on TV, but the other guys wouldn't let him get away with it. They were saying, No, that's freaking Vader. Um, that is such a true story. If you watch back some of those early matches with Vader on TV, beating up job guys. Vince is sliding in the word Mastodon wherever he can. It's hilarious. Yeah. Because yeah. Vince wants to change everything. He wants to control it and own it.
0: I was about to say that's, that stems from his desire to own the character. And that's something you're seeing a lot of today where uh, uh, just recently uh, Matt Cardona, the former Zack Ryder, jumped to AEW, from WWE to AEW. And here they are, you know. Oh my God, Mac Hardona! He came, you know, it, like it was some huge deal. And it's like, you know, who? Like I've yeah. never. I, I mean, I mean, even as a huge fan, I uh, I, I knew who he was, but I guarantee ninety percent of people watching had never heard that name before.
2: Right. And that's by design, you know. Right. Vince wants to own. Vince wants to own you. Well, then, uh, as much as he can.
0: Then let me ask you something. Um, continuing on with your career, uh, when you made a return recently to Chikara, their infinite gauntlet. And the announcement that you were going to be a part of that, this was back in 2019, they announced Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Do you, do you own that name? Are you allowed to use that? Or is it because nope, they said not at firmer? all, but
2: I I just figure Vince ain't got the balls to come try and sue me because he didn't pay me shit when I was <laughs> there. And besides I don't do anything frequently enough and I ain't making no money. I'm not burning down the bank doors. So they're not going to come after me because I don't make any money doing right. shows and crypto. I mean, I do appearances. Look, I see all these other old wrestlers who I know Vince owns their deals too, and they're at these conventions making t shirts and making money. And I'm just doing the same thing. But I mean, I'm not going on somebody else's TV or the competition. I'm just trying to scratch a, a little bit of side money for myself. So I don't think Vince is going to come after me. That would be kind of ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, I went and worked for Chikara, that one shot, and uh, had a great time. Um, th- that dude, I'm going to tell you, Quackenbush, unbelievable promoter. And uh, just to listen to him rally the troops before that show started, um, did he go work for Vince after that in a developmental in Florida or something? Because somebody was saying they were trying to hire him, and I could understand why after sitting there and watching him talk to his wrestlers. He was amazing. Uh, he was a great motivator. Um, you could tell he knew what he was doing. That was a top-notch uh, uh, production that Chikara, believe it or not. It was a great show. I mean, it's interesting, strange characters, but the people, they got loyal fans that are behind all those characters. And, uh, again, he runs a very uh, tight ship, but in a good way. Um, he knows what he's doing. And, uh I gotta say, I respected it very much, and he was very nice to me, and and he got me in and out of there the same day. You can't beat that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I heard that uh, demolition. Ahead, demolition is one that use uses their uh, gimmick on the on the uh, touring scene, and uh, I think it was somebody like Bruce Pritchard on his podcast saying that they're kind of under the radar, where yeah. WWE is not. You know, not looking at them. So,
2: nah, I mean, we're not making millions of dollars or nothing. We're, not, we're making some extra side scratch. That's about it. Right.
1: right.
0: It, it, it's also why if you, you follow the independent scene, there's several wrestlers that, that use the doink <clears throat> gimmick. And it, uh, oh, both, both, Tom, both Tom Brandy and Del Wilkes still use the Patriot gimmick. Uh, both, you know, and there's a, obviously a story there about who's the actual Patriot, which is funny because technically neither of them are. The WWE owns that gimmick yeah. and name. Um, I, I, so <laughs> let, let me ask you then uh, to talk about your time in, in Chikara, the, the the run with the Infinite Gauntlet. It, it brought back thoughts of Kerry Von Erich. You had you mentioned it in your interview. You had your foot amputated. You've talked about it in the past, uh, the, yeah. the pain. So you had, you wrestled with a prosthetic. How yeah. did, you know, he obviously carry Von Eric did, and it was kept a secret. It was one of the best kept secrets at wrestling. Um, how was that? if you don't mind me asking, how was that the, the wrestling with, with a prosthetic? Like, because I mean, there've been uh, wrestlers in the past that have had, you know, a, a one leg or, or whatnot, but in your case, you had the full gear on. It was just the, 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 the boot, um, how how did that go like like how was that
2: um it's different uh I lost a lot of mobility uh you know uh it brought a whole slew of different issues, but I was able to move enough um surprisingly better than I thought um, but later I would find out I was doing more damage, so I had to kind of stop because I was hurting myself but yeah, uh, it was fun. I didn't do much in that match. I got to hit somebody in the head with a garbage can. I hit a couple of people, and then I got uh, put in a submission move and tapped out and got out of there and ran out the back door and jumped on a plane and went home. But, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah, great.
0: You, you, you did eliminate two people, though. That was impressive. Well, right? then, then let me ask you. We talked about the independents. How did that come about? Who reached out to who in that instance?
2: uh for Chikara, i can't remember who it was uh somebody that had been reading my stories on facebook got in touch with me i can't remember who it was it was such a while ago but um yeah and they put me in touch with uh mike quackenbush saying that right right but yeah he uh yeah he um and and then i called him and he put it all together but yeah there was a go-between that works for him uh, and I knew a couple of his guys. Oh, I know who it was. It was one of his referees. And I, gosh, I can't remember his name, but I met him on some independence in Tennessee, and uh, I think he went back and talked to Mike, and they were interested in bringing me in. And he got in touch with me through Facebook, and we just put it together. Yeah, hack. Um, his name escapes me now. Though. He's one of the referees. Real cool dude, though. Well,
0: that's that's neat. Well, then then let me ask you something uh, to to expand on that. Um, the the crowd noise a little the way they're re- recording it's it's a little hit and miss in the uh, video of your match but you've you've popped up a couple times you know you mentioned conventions and you mentioned the occasional appearance do you still uh, how how is how is the the modern fan reaction given
2: given the the how fondly you're remembered. Uh. The thing about it is, is there has recently been, I believe, this resurgence of interest in that era of wrestlers. That's why a lot more of us are getting a lot more bookings on the meet and greet circuits and getting booked for matches, uh, because it's like nostalgic for people to see us. Uh, and that, I've had great crowd reactions coming out. It's like, holy shit, this is a guy I watched when I was a little kid, and they, you know, they get fired up. Um, But, yeah, there's just been this resurgence of interest in in people from that era and some of those gimmicks, like you said. So um, I'm enjoying it, you know. I'm enjoying the – you know, I'm not in a major federation or anything like that, and I'm not making millions of dollars, but I don't need to. I'm enjoying it this time, having fun and interacting with the fans and uh, doing it for the right reasons. you know, having fun with it.
0: That's that's such an awesome story. Well, as we kind of come to the natural conclusion of the conversation, Jason, uh, give you one final question. Go for it.
1: Um, (laughs) Well, I mentioned it uh, before we started, but uh, there is a famous uh, story uh, between uh, you and uh, the one, two, three kid, uh, Sean Waltman. Could you uh, kind of
2: tell us about that? Yes, I'll be glad to. And I'll tell you the revised, slightly revised version, but it's still the same story. Um, (laughs) At one point in time during that era, the new generation era, uh, you know, we were doing these house shows, and they had a six-man tag match. In this six-man tag match, it was the 123 Kid wrestling as a heel, Isaac Yankum, DDS, and Leif Cassidy from the new – rockers versus the bushwhackers and duke the dumpster drosy and that was the six-man tag match and um one night we were out there wrestling this match and everybody was a bit a little bit loosey-goosey in the ring uh the kid was throwing his little kicks and playing them in pretty good he was a little excited i think um I was laying stuff in on Isaac Yankum who later became Kane to the point where I was chopping him and he just looked at me and he goes, Duke, stop. And I just, (laughs) I put my hands on his chest and put my head down because I was waiting for him to try and punch me. But uh, I was laughing. It was like funny, you know, because the kid, he was messed up. I was always messed up at that point, you know, on drugs. And uh, anyway, the kid threw all these kicks at me and he was laying them in and that got me even more fired up so we went into some spot where I took over and I did a mafia kick a mafia kick is a straight kick right to the face and I just kicked him right in the face now I would say it was half a receipt and half just me being loosey-goosey and fired up uh just like probably he was but I kicked him in the face hard and uh, he started bleeding out of his face and his mouth. Um, anyway, we finished the match and go in the back. And I'm sitting there taking my boots off. And Shawn Michaels is sitting right next to me. And one, two, three kid comes walking through the door. And uh, I think he really built up the blood in his mouth for the uh, dramatic effect. But he came walking in with blood coming out like this. And he looked at Shawn Michaels. Shawn looked at him and looked at me and looked at him. He goes, Well, I guess you shouldn't have kicked him so hard. And I went, damn, Shawn Michaels just took my side. Now, as a caveat to this story, at some point, I'm not a hundred percent sure it was during this match, but I still I still think it was. Shawn Waltman, the one two, three kid, crapped his pants in the ring. And it wasn't necessarily because of me kicking him and uh i made that very clear he, he it wasn't necessarily because of me kicking him now he crapped his ring gear and i remember him taking it off and putting it in a little garbage can now he didn't throw it away which he made very clear he said he didn't throw it away because it was too expensive but i think he put it in a little garbage can until he could figure out how to deal with it but yeah he crapped his you know because in those days we were all drinking this metrex shake bullshit it was like the beginning of the protein shake era wow. and uh They were horrible, man. And they gave you the – if you drank them too much, you would crap yourself. And uh, it didn't take much. And that's what happened in the ring. And it was during one of those six-man tags. I do know that. And I do know he put it in a garbage can, but maybe didn't throw it away. But, yeah, we were all stiff that night in the ring, kicking each other and hitting each other. I was chopping the hell out of Kane, Isaac Yankum, and just being an idiot. And uh, that's just kind of how we did things back then. And you know, Absolutely. say sorry later on.
1: <laughs> well, Shaw Shaw Waterman definitely uh, confirmed the the story. He and uh, the story. He he had some uh, good words, you know, saying that you were a good worker. He loved uh, working with you. So uh, it, it yeah. it's it's stories like that uh, that I enjoy doing this with Dan. And uh, I'm one of those that you talk about the nostalgia. I hardly watch the new stuff. I, I go back to. You know, when I was growing up and even uh, watching it with my grandfather, you know, those are the times that I, I remember and enjoy. So, again, I want to just thank you for being here
2: with us tonight. No problem. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that's kind of what's really set us apart and and made Wrestling With The Future so successful is we really focused on the human factor and the human stories more than just, you know, let me spend two hours talking about my favorite matches Right. and, and, and you have you are such a, a great story both the the approaching Vince McMahon and you got over what was just no had no business being as po- no offense had no business being as popular as it was and I, and no one else could have pulled that off and then the the the, the rehab and you you lose a foot and you're yeah. still kicking ass and fans still love you it's it's a great story and again i thank you for being here and i will give you uh the time you have a lot going on with your 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 podcast and your shows please pitch and and promote do uh duke the dumpster
2: yeah we got some podcasts going on uh under what is called wrestling with anything but that is as i mentioned before that is the umbrella that all of us are under my podcast is on friday's Um, Now, it is on my private Facebook page right now. We are live streaming it every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Central Time. It's called Road to Recovery. Now, it has a lot to do with my personal path in life and the things I've been through, but also uh, other people's stories. Uh, People, it is so interactive with the fans. It's been amazing. They're telling their stories. They're sharing their stories with us every week. Um, but we talk more than just substance abuse recovery. We talk about coming back from any kind of tough situation in life and finding redemption. That is the, that is the main goal of that podcast, uh, Road to Recovery. I call it the podcast with a purpose. It is on Fridays 6 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Central. I will also mention again really quick, though, the, the rest of the wrestlers that have podcasts under our umbrella. Um, <clears throat> Ray Lloyd, Glacier has a podcast breaking the ice on Mondays and Fridays at noon Eastern time uh, with him and, and Avi Klein. And again, it's on both of their Facebook page. All of these are live streamed on the Facebook pages. Uh, let's see. Bill DeMott is on Tuesdays at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. It's called Face Value with Bill DeMott. Uh, Wednesdays is Paul Roma maintaining the truth at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time is Del Wilkes, The Patriot Unmasking the Truth. And my personal favorite, other than my own, of course, Don Morocco, Making Waves, every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And I just had the privilege of being on that podcast last week. It was an amazing thing. Um, All of these are great podcasts. All of them, Uh, the master of ceremonies, as I like to call them, the man with the funky blazers is Avi Klein. He runs the show. Uh, we are soon going to be going to Twitch. Anybody can go there. There's no content there now, but it is WWAB Podcast on Twitch. They can subscribe. We, would be, we will be streaming there soon. Eventually, we will be moving to Patreon as well. But if you want to get started, come on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time to Mike Drosi's Facebook page and watch the live stream of Road to Recovery. And you will find out about all the rest.
0: That's Um, great. And and like I said, you have such an amazing story. And I'm a big fan. I appreciate you giving us your time. I know you're very busy. So thank you again for being here. Um, Duke, you have a great night.
2: Guys, thank you very much for the opportunity. And it's been a great time. Thank you. Great interview. And I really, really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: And we'll definitely try and have you you. back. I mean, there's so much more story to tell. Again, thank you for being here. Uh, everyone, uh, Mike Drosy. thank you.
1: What a story, right? That was so awesome. And like you said, uh, his career, his life is very, uh, inspiring.
0: It really it is. is. And you have, I mean, and that's part of the reason I reached out to him. Cause I was, I was a fan of his when I was a kid, Back then, and then following the redemption. I mean, you have the 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 drugs store, the drugs, and the rehab, and then not just the rehab, but to continue to work in the facility and to help people and to use that experience. And he's still active, and he's still pulling in fans. And Mm -hmm. again, like he said, with the podcast, sharing other people's stories, right? And putting out. uh, He talked about uh, Na and AA and in some of these other groups. And it's, it's great because you very rarely see somebody who comes out, who, who is able to pull themselves for lack of a better term, pull themselves out of a dumpster and, and then use that story to help so many others. Usually people that do that kind of shell in and, and move on. I think it's, it's, it's great. And he's, he's done such good work. And it's I was I was glad to have him. I'm, I was, appreciate you doing this. You know, it's yeah. funny. We, we talked um, we talked a lot being Duke, being a, uh, a trash man and the dumpster and the coveralls and everything. And, you know, what else is absolute garbage is the uncomfortable feeling of being unkempt, especially in the summer heat. I know we're having it. You're having it and it is awful, and you can fix that unkempt feeling with our friends at Manscaped.com. Man, use promo code WRESTLINGFUTURE for 20% off your purchase. The lawnmower 3.0, the number one rated manscaping product. They take care of anything. You'll go from garbage man to garbage heaven instantly. Manscaped.com, promo code WRESTLINGFUTURE. Gentlemen, your balls will thank you. Yes. And, you know, it's funny to, to go back on that. You talked about uh he, he, having watched a lot of his stuff prior to doing the show i did some research myself and did you notice the the clips of his matches how many views they had he talked about his rise in popularity i mean I, I, there was matches you know saturday night nothing show duke Drosey uh-huh. against jobber umpty squad whose name i don't even remember and it had 800,000 views right I mean, aw yeah. has matches that don't have those numbers right so
1: yeah uh, i um you know i i I do i do remember seeing some of his matches growing up but again it you know all these years later a a a garbage man character i mean really but you know one thing i didn't get a chance and hopefully we bring him back and i get to talk to him but sitting there watching some of his matches i could almost see him being uh a precursor to a Stone Cold type character. Yeah. You know, he had, you know, the common man. Right. Uh, and then he started, you know, with the head, uh, with the hair shaved, you know, he started to go down the heel turn in a bit. And I could have seen him go have that storyline that Austin had with Vince. They could have transplanted you, that over to him.
0: You know, it's funny. He mentioned, you know, maybe it wasn't everybody, but you had duke at drumster you had tl hopper you had skinner you had irs you had every every other character had was a gimmick that was job-based and other than some of your established i mean irs obviously he existed before this push but you know the goon and uh geez i mean some of these some of these bits that were you know repo man who by the way i was Vastly entertaining and I think yeah. underrated. But point is, is is really none of these characters got over except Duke the Dumpster. Duke the Dumpster was I remember as a kid, he was very popular. Right. And it was it, and, and it's funny to think that really his run with the company was so short. I remember it be if to me it felt like it was so much longer because he was involved in uh, I because he I I guess as a fan you remember the matches and you remember seeing him on TV right. but it was only a, it was a span of only a few he mentioned three years and that's right. you know that's that's a blip on the radar to a company that's been around since since the seventies or at least under Vince McMahon in nineteen eighty right. but
1: but that definitely goes to the credit to the man Mike Drosy exactly. And how he brought what he brought to that character of the dumpster to make it, you know, only three years or about make it that memorable for people to still want to see relive some of his matches. Right. To you know, see him on the meet and greets. You know, mm-hmm. that just shows, you know, the type of uh wrestler he was and is.
0: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it's there's several gimmicks especially some from that time period the the early 90s both in WWF and WCW that would not have worked with anybody else I mean I picture you know put put a a repackaged member of demolition in a, in a, in a in, in, exactly. in, you know in in, I- a, in coveralls. Duke the dumpster doesn't work. You know, give, I hate to say it because, you know, he went on, Glenn Jacobs went on to one of the best careers in the history of the business, but give give Glenn Jacobs the dumpster and it doesn't work. Right, He doesn't well, have that charisma.
1: Well, to re actually, uh, I thought you were going another route, but uh, to de- demolition, when I was sitting here watching some of his matches uh, this afternoon, I was thinking, you know, what he could have done if you know he stayed on and the dumpster ran out, he could have been a possible uh demolition member. Mm-hmm. he had that build he could I was even thinking, you know a diesel type character he yeah. had a great look, a great build, he was very good in the ring i just uh you know it's you know things happen for a reason right, but you know if he would have stayed and overcome you know, uh, certain things, uh, I could have seen him go really far.
0: You know, and and it's crazy to think what he was talking about that some of these larger than life heroes that I, you know, I was 10 years old back, back in the, you know, then some of these larger than life heroes I had were making $200 a day,
3: 1500
0: bucks a year, you know, minimum, like I, (laughs) that's crazy. And then you, you hear today, you know, the, Some of these some of these these guys who are on TV once a month, 400,000 guaranteed, you know, it's it's nuts to think, you know, how how little and you you understand why so many people from that era took, unfortunately, ended ended up on the road that that Mike did with drugs and alcohol and all. When you're you're a professional, you're you're in the biggest company in the world, biggest wrestling company in the world. And a visit to the doctor, which by the way, you have to pay for because you don't have insurance, costs more than the money you took home at the end of the night. You know, could you imagine WWF, I just wrestled in front of twenty-five thousand people and and I'm leaving with I've I've spent more on a grocery trip, you know?
1: I know. I know. It 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 blows my mind and it just goes to show the passion, the love of the business that all these guys and women now do to you know put forth the the uh you know the entertainment that we all you know sit back and watch
0: absolutely and it also shows the power that Vince McMahon has because you have the these talents and some of the names that have come out i mean you're you're Dean Ambrose, or excuse me, or John Moxley, and Zack Ryder, and some of these names that have left and have since come out and said, you know, F that company. And uh, M- Maria Canellis just recently went on a bit of a rant about, you know, how the company is screwed because they're not building any talent. And here's some, I mean, these, these were people making big money. And, okay, you don't want to be here, bye. There's a hundred people, a thousand people on indies making 20 bucks a day that would take your spot in a heartbeat, and I paid them right. half half what I gave you. You know, uh, Luke Gallows, Carl and Anderson were making seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to be miserable. You could pull some guy out of the local bar wrestling in front of nine people, give him a half, you know, seventy five thousand guaranteed. He'd sign tomorrow. Right. You know, he, he, the power they have. That's it's unfortunately the the reason for the union failing, and then yeah. obviously the story with Hogan. But it's crazy. It is, well, and, and
1: – go ahead. Well, it goes back to what Duke said earlier. You have to uh, make that initiative. You can't just sit back and wait for them to give it to you. Right. No, You know, some, you know uh, uh, Gallows and them, um, yeah, they, they, get, they made it work for them, but they chose the point where it's just not working for them.
0: They
3: could
1: have stayed and made all that money, but they chose, they took it in their own initiative to go on and go somewhere that make them happy. Right. Uh Canellas, uh you know, they're they're the ones that are sitting back. They're bitching. And I, I don't really feel sorry for them.
0: No, I, I don't. And her I just used her as an example. she right, was the right. one. I mean, realistically, she wasn't on TV because of of uh, you know, her, her health conditions with the pregnancy and all that. Like right. you basically were making what was it? 300,000 or to two or 300,000 guaranteed to stay at home and have two kids. Like the Go WWE ahead. literally paid for you to get pregnant twice and your husband a job on TV. And you're talking like it's the worst thing in the world. Right. Yeah. The company sucks, but how many people, you know, in, in the COVID era when 10 million, what is it? Something like 10 million Americans, are the uh, more uh, people are, are having issues, unemployment rates, 11% and you're crying because you got 300,000 to not be used the way you would hoped. Ah, uh, right. uh, it's hard. It's, it's like feeling bad for, for, you know, it's hard to feel bad for people to make that much money. And, and you know, uh, it's, it, but at the same time, I mean, I'm not there. So who knows? Maybe it is rough, but it's, right. it's crazy. But yeah, no, I, this was fun. We definitely have to do this again. Jason, always, always a pleasure having you on uh, for, the bearded sensation himself, Jason Tuttle. I'm Dan, the man. Uh, This is wrestling with the future. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, buy the t-shirt. We can be found on YouTube, Facebook at wrestling with the future podcast. We're on Instagram now at wrestling with the future. Uh, And that is a great show always. So everyone have a good night. Good night.